All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? I already asked you guys that, but I was hoping we'd have woken up after singing a couple songs, but that's all right. I'll try and wake you guys up as we go. So, um, as Daniel said, we're starting off our um, series on our core values and what do our core values mean? How to, or what's the representation of them? Why do we have them? So essentially, what I get tasked to do in the very first sermon of this series is explain to you the entire foundation of the Mountain Church, what we believe, why we believe it, all of that kind of stuff, and then on top of that, get to explain to you why the Holy Scriptures are so important, what's their necessity, and like how do we go through them, and their purpose, and all that stuff going in. So this should be a really easy 20 minutes, right? (laughs) I'm starting to realize why Daniel decided he wanted to preach the last three and not the first one. So what we're going to do, as many of you guys know, whenever I speak, I give you a blank piece of paper, right? You guys are adults, most of you, some of you, more than others. I'm I'm making eye contact with Aaron. because you guys will take what you guys need to take out of this. I hope that the Spirit is moving in you and it will give you like that revelation that you need to be able to write down what you think is important of what I have to say, which a lot of times is not a lot. But that being said, the first thing I want to do is take a look at that square you have at the bottom of your notes page, if you have one. If you don't, and you're writing in your own journal, that's great. Draw a square. Okay, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to see. I want to see people like getting there. I know my wife doesn't use the notes, so she's going to draw a square. So I'm going to look. Remember square, four, four equal sides, four equal angles, all that kind of stuff, right? Perfect square. Awesome. All right. So with that perfect square, I believe that we have a slide that I get to show you guys, and it is called our framework slide. Is it up there? Yeah. Is it up there now? Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. If you want to know the framework of the mountain church, what is the mountain church built upon? It is all in this square, okay? Now, I know it looks like a rectangle on our screen, but it's based around that center square, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start, and we're going to walk through what this is. Now, many of you have seen on our website, we've been adding some cool resources. There's a sweet video that explains this. I'm not going to say who shot it, but you're looking at him. So... um, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and go over what I said in that video, and then hopefully if you need a recap, you can go back and either listen to the sermon or watch the video. So the first thing we want to start with is the who. Do you guys see that in the center of the box? So go ahead and write that in there. Who? So who are we? Well, we're the mountain church, right? And we have described the mountain church multiple times, and I think you guys have all heard the language at one point in time or another, that we are a gospel-centered family. I hope you guys know the teacher side of me is going to wait because I want to make sure that you guys write it down and then pay attention to the next thing I have to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the encouragement, Marga. <laughs> It'll be multiple choice, don't worry. <laughs> now, the second question, if you guys can real if you guys started looking at this, you start to see we're asking the five W's and then the, the how, right? It's a great way to explain the church. So then the second question we ask is where? Now, I think for most of us, the natural inclination that we have when we say where is the mountain church, the first thing that most of us are gonna say is what? Des Moines, right? It's in Des Moines. 
That's, I, it's come out of my mouth before. But we realize that as we start to think about this and we start to retrain ourselves, we start to realize the church is not this building, right? Yes. Man, okay, I, thank you. <laughs> Got one head nod, like, yes, and then one verbal. It's a, so I'm going to say that again. The church is not a building, correct? correct? Thank you. Awesome. So then we say, where is the church? Where is the church? Well, it's in your community, Right? All of you guys live somewhere, you have a place where you're at, there's people in your sphere of influence, whether it's at your job, whether it's at school, whether it's in your uh, apartment complex, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, that is your community, and that is where the church is. Wherever you are, that is where the church is. So when we think about the Mountain Church, we think about Ben being a representative of the Mountain Church in South Des Moines, right? When we think about Margo, Margo just had an awesome block party from what I hear, and that's out in Tukwila by Foster High School. The Mountain Church is there, right? It's wherever we are, wherever we are proclaiming the gospel, wherever we are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, wherever we are living, we are the church there. That is our goal as the Mountain Church, that you understand that you are a representative of Christ wherever you are at any time, and that is the where, so as we get to an identity, hopefully most of us will stop saying that the Mountain Church is in Des Moines. We may gather here for Sundays, but this is not the church, right? Now, the next thing we want to go to is our what. You guys see the what on the other side there? It's on your guys' right, correct? Right, all right. The what. Now, we have a mission statement, right? I'm not going to repeat the mission statement because you all know it by heart, right, Carrie? Yes, you do, right? All right. And you can summarize it in three main points, right, Carrie? Yes. So the first one is to pro proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. This is what the Mountain Church wants to be about. We want to be a church that first and foremost proclaims the gospel, speaking truths to one another, speaking truths to those who believe, truths to those who do not believe. We want to make disciples. This is where we start talking about the relational peace, right? Jesus showed us what it looked like to make disciples, to be in community with them, to be um, experiencing life together. Um, through everything that we are doing, this is how we make disciples, from the way that you know, we show how we uh, handle our marriages, to our finances, to uh, daily conversation. This is making disciples. And lastly, we want to plant churches. It is the goal of the Mountain Church to hopefully send out um, planters who are going to go plant in other areas that are in need of gospel-centered churches, whether that's overseas or North Kent, right? This is our goal. Then we're going to jump over to the why. Why? This is our values, our core values. This is where the sermon series comes from um, this uh, next four weeks. So our core values. Now, some of you guys know that this is a redesign of the core values we've already had. Okay, so we've had, uh, it's seven, 
Seven, seven core values. See, even I struggle with it, right? And as we started talking about this, it was hard. You have seven core values, and you're trying to explain to somebody what the church is about. To go through that list of seven things, like it causes you to have to stumble sometimes and think in depth and maybe pull out your phone and go back through some of the documents that you have. And what we decided is that everything that we've had, those core values that we've had, we're not getting rid of them. They just happen to fall under four nice key headings. So we just redistributed them to make them easier. So now, hopefully, you guys will be able to say the four core values of the Mountain Church. And we're going to have this graphic on your guys' uh, um, outlines every week. So hopefully, it'll sink in. So the first thing, our first core, core value is the Holy Scriptures, Right? Everything that we do, everything that we have is based around this book. The second is the gospel, which we believe is the outpouring of that, right? So if this is informational, this tells us about who God is, this is, um, this is his living word, the gospel essentially becomes that transformative piece, right? It becomes our outpouring, and then... Um, these become even more real as we have the gospel. How do we share the gospel with people? How does the gospel affect us on a day-to-day basis? Remembering that the gospel is not just a one-time thing and then you move on from it, but it's something that changes you continually. Next, we move into community. Community, it's hard to have any of the stuff that we are doing without being in community with one another, right? It's hard to live out the where if you're not in a community. And then lastly, the mission, right? And this circles back to how we want to make disciples and plant churches, right? So, have I lost anybody so far? Are you guys all good? You guys understanding it? Okay, awesome. Thank you, Phil. So, let's jump down to the how, okay? The how. This is our strategy. Now, the Mountain Church has two things that we really uh, uh, put an emphasis on. Now, Daniel's explained this multiple ways, whether it be two wings or two rails of a train track, right? Whatever it is, whatever visual you need to like help yourself understand is that we have two important ways in which we accomplish the what and the why, right? And then to be in community. So the how, the first thing is the Sunday morning gathering. That's what we're doing right now, right? The Sunday morning gathering is what we view as a time to equip the saints to go out and do the work, right? You are being fed so that you can go out and feed. That's what this time is for. Our gospel communities, the other piece is the piece that we view as the more intentional piece, bringing people into our gospel communities, allowing them to see families devoted to Christ living sacrificially for one another and for God. This is the point, like, or that's the structure that we have. Gospel community is more the heavy piece of bringing people in. And the Sunday morning gathering is more about equipping you guys to be ready to be sent out as missionaries to proclaim the gospel, make disciples. That makes sense? We good? Okay, awesome. All right, here's why I check. Are there any questions? None? No questions. Okay. Either I am the best teacher in the world or you guys are just embarrassed to ask something, so... (laughs) Um, If you don't want to ask a question now, please ask a question later. Uh, Daniel, I know, would be glad to answer any questions. So would I. So would Nathan. Okay. Um, Oh, sorry. Uh, Last thing is when. These are our measurables. How do we know that we are accomplishing what we've talked about so far? Well, for this, I used a teacher term, and I'm 
I'm really sad that Pam's not here because she'd be really excited about this teacher term. <laughs> what we do is we talk about in the classroom, what does it look like and what does it sound like? Okay? And it's very simple. We say, if we are living out all of these things, it will look one way and it will sound one way. Okay, and we're going to apply this to each of the core values that we talk about as we go through. So today, what I'm going to do when we get to the end of this, the, uh, the Holy Scriptures and talking about their importance as a core value, is we're going to go over this idea of when will we know that we are, at, or when we are living this out as a value, is we will know what it looks like and we will know what it sounds like. So I'm going to give you an example of this as we go on. So hopefully you guys can stick with me through that. All right. So now you all understand the framework of the Mountain Church. Any decisions, anything that happens, any uh, thing that we do is run through this framework. All right? So now everything that we have, every, just view it with the lens of this. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into our core value of the Holy Scriptures. All right. So notice we didn't have a, a passage of scripture this morning that we went over. It's because I have about six or seven of them here that we're going to go over. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys time to write some of this down and jump in. So the first thing we want to tackle is what is the Bible? What is the Bible? It's a book, right? So it's a series of books, collection, a library, right, Ben? Is that the word? A library. Well, the first place I want to go to is 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. I think the first thing we have to do is we have to set up an understanding of what the Bible is, and we want to use Scripture to give us that understanding. So in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it says, Knowing... This, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what does this tell us? It tells us that this was not a group of guys that got together and wrote a book, and somehow it all lined up, and it's somehow like they got their story correct, Right? This tells us that the Holy Spirit guided the words and used the people that it used to write all of the passages that we have. Paul's words were not his own. They were the Holy Scripture move, or the Holy Spirit moving through him to write what needed to be said. Second of all, we jump to the famous one, right? I'm sure all of you thought I was going to go there first. Second Timothy. 3.16, right? Now, the thing is, is I want to take a look at 2 Timothy 3.12 through 17. I want to go a little bit deeper into the context here. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while the evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have acquainted with the sacred, or excuse me, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. So I'm going to stop right there. What does that already say? It's not just saying that it's the new apostles' teachings, but the teachings that they had been learning since childhood, which are what? 
the Old Testament. You can't know your scriptures if you don't know the Old Testament. It's not there. You got to open it up and you got to read it. Okay, I've talked to people who tell me that I don't like it. Too bad. That's what I'm going to tell you, too bad. Because here when Paul is writing to Timothy, he is telling you to stick with what you've learned from childhood. You know this. Use it because there are truths here that tell about who Jesus is before Jesus was around, right? In our mind, the Jesus that we know on this earth, right? Before he was around, because we know that he existed before all time. John 1 tells us that, right? But before he came to this earth, as a man, over half the Bible talks about him. You have to know it. So it continues on from there. That you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which you are able to make you or which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think there's some important things there. We think about the purpose of scriptures, right? When it talks about, it's breathed out by God. So again, we have that same idea that was in uh, 2 Peter, right? The scripture is, is spoken out because of the Holy Spirit moving. It's not by man. So we get that idea again. And then it gives us these, these things that we can use it for, right? For teaching, what's happening now, right? For, uh, for reproof. I think of reproof as like... Um, it's essentially calling something for what it is, right? So when uh, in football, we all know football, right? When an when a offensive lineman holds and the uh, official throws his yellow flag, right? We all get upset and we're like, oh, man, you know, but what is he doing? Well, the official is essentially acting out reproof. He's showing where there's something wrong, right? And he's calling it out. So we know that scriptures can help us with that. For correction, so now we say, okay, because of this, now we're going to do this because this is the right way to do it and then for training in righteousness. And then I love verse 17, because 17, I think, emphasizes what we've just read, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? So without these, we're incomplete, right? We need this. This fills us up. This makes us more or understand who Jesus is and make us understand or know God better, which makes us more full, more alive in Christ, so that we can be equipped for every good work. So my next thing then is saying, okay, so if the first question that we asked is what is the Bible, the second piece that we need to ask is why do we need to be committed to it? Why do we need it? Okay. Now what I'm going to do first is I'm going to ask you guys a question. And hopefully some of you guys can, can answer this for me. If you are in a relationship, I'm just going to go down this relationship path, okay? If you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you have a fiance, if you've ever been in a relationship before, if anything, we think of the word devoted. You guys know the word devoted? Okay, give me some examples. What are some things that you guys think of like come in your mind when you hear devoted? Faithful. Faithful, okay. Diligent. Diligent. Caring. Caring. Unconditional, nice. Selfless. Sacrificial, ooh, good one. Yep. 
Patience, nice. Forgiving, okay. If you were a, uh, some, uh, I'm guessing, I, I know a lot of you guys are married. When you think of devoted, do you think of when you start to talk to your spouse? Like, I'll use Kelly as an example. If Kelly comes in and starts talking about her day, and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then I click the TV on, <laughs> does that show that I'm devoted to her? No, I'm sure a lot of you guys right away are going like, uh, we need to talk about this because that's not okay, right? And I know for a fact on a serious note that a lot of you guys would not like the idea if I was married to Kelly, if I said, hey, Kelly, I'm glad we're married, but I'm going to go on a date with somebody else. No. Yeah, we, that's not devoted. That's the opposite. I'm supposed to be devoted to her. I'm supposed to show her that she's the one that I have chosen to be with, to spend my life with, to grow closer to Christ with, that is devotion, right? It's not seeking after something else. So why do I go to that? Well, I want to go to where I think our core value is most clearly uh, expressed and why, where we get this idea of Holy Scriptures from. When we take a look at Acts 2, 41 through 44, and I'm going to wait for you guys to turn there in your Bibles. Acts 2, 41 through 44. And I think it's important because in our document, we have 242, uh, but I like to go up to 41 to give us a little context, right? So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So what's happening here, right? We have people that have heard the good news of Jesus and they, become, they get baptized and they have this uh, repentance, right? And they're... Uh, what does it say there? They were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you have 3,000 new converts, right? They're, they're excited. They're passionate for Jesus. And it says, what happens next? And they devoted, remember we talked about that word devoted, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and all or had in all things in common. Now, when I think about that word devoted, I guess my, my, my first question to you guys is, would you guys think of yourselves as devoted to the scriptures in the same way you're devoted to your spouse, to your significant other, the same way you're devoted to your favorite TV show? I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm not. Because I let, just as you guys laughed at me and told me no way as Kelly would come in and talk to me about her day at work and I would turn the TV on, I turn the TV on a lot while this is just sitting literally right underneath it. I'm missing out on so much richness by letting this sit there and watching something that's just going to entertain and numb my mind for 30 minutes to an hour. But one of the biggest things I love about this passage is I think that what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and show us through scripture just some small, or I guess a few of the points of what scripture can do. As we talked about earlier, man, if I was to preach on everything about scripture... Like, this would be a year-long series, right? I mean, there's just, there's no way I can cover everything 
in this short period of time. So I tried to pick a few of the things that I think would be applicable to our situation and where we are going as a church. Things that is through my prayer, through my study stood out to me that I'm like, man, this is something that's working for me and working through me. So I need to share that. One of the things that stood out to me in that passage was that if we are committed to scripture, being committed to the word promotes unity. I think that that's not something that we can overlook. Because when we look at the passages, you have people being saved. They devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. And awe came upon every soul. And then when it gets to the end there, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Promotes unity. We have to know that if we are a church divided, I mean, this, it's all for naught. Might as well close the doors down and, and move on because we have to be a church that's on mission together, living out the same thing, using the same roadmap to get us to where we're going. The next place I want to go is Psalm 119, the whole thing. I know that some of you who know your Bible because you laughed at that joke. <laughs> it's the longest one. Yeah. It's, it's in there. But, <laughs> but we're going to jump to 105 through 112. So just kind of as I close there, something I said I think really points to what we see here. 105 through 112, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are on my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end." So much richness there, right? I could, we could do a sermon on that. I could stop and we could go through that one. But what I want to understand is that being committed to God's word gives us guidance. It is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. It shows us a path to happiness. We think of rules so often as these like confining guidelines that make us like, you know, stiff. It's like having to wear a tie and a long sleeve to work, right? The worst, I don't know about you guys, but that's the worst. That's what I think of when I think about rules and guidelines, right? Like, don't put that on me. But what we realize here as we read in the psalm is that this is not how they view rules. This is not what we look at when we read a lot of the, new, the Old Testament, right? And when we read Jesus' teachings, it was not meant to be this confining, restraining thing that made us feel all tight and bothered. It was these rules and guidelines that showed us how to have joy in Christ. How to have a life that feels just like so abundantly full because Christ is moving in us and we are like living as he created and as he intended us to live. Not how we want. If you have any prayer to this week, if you are struggling to pray, open this up and read it. Make this your prayer. 
The next thing I want to go to is Galatians 1. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. This is another important piece that I think is good for us to see at this point. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Now, most of us know the context of Galatians, but if we don't, we understand that there's a lot of uh, strain from the teachings of Christ that's happening in Galatia, right? So Paul is writing to them to kind of pull them back into line to help them see what's going on there. And so essentially right off the bat, I love this, right? Because he's only six verses in. And he starts with, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I am saying again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. So what do we take from that? Being committed to God's word protects sound doctrine. That is important. This is not changed. This does not get to be manipulated to make it relevant for today's time to make it fit a context that seems more reasonable to us. What's been awesome is this has been placed on my heart recently and I was, I was able to talk with uh, Carrie a little bit about this yesterday and, and those of us setting up and I thought it was good. Like when we look at some doctrine, when we look at people, there is, this is happening today. Jehovah's Witness, this is what they're doing. They're changing doctrine to make it seem more reasonable so that they understand it and teaching something. They are using the language that we use, but their intent is different. And that's what he's pointing to here. Protect sound doctrine. Don't change this. This is what we preach to you. And even if I myself, and I say that as a leader, if I myself am teaching you something that's not in here, shut me down. Don't allow me to go on. We were joking with Daniel today. I was like, man, if I, when I'm speaking on the Holy Scripture, if I mess this up, man, jump up there and just stop me and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me take over from here. Because I don't want to be that, right? And we have to understand that when it says the gospels that they preached, right, the good news, we know that since this is inspired by God, this is true. This is the only thing, and this is our measuring stick for our sound doctrine. Outside of this, there's, it's nothing. I had it slated later to say it, but I think it's a good time now. We can't be people that say, well, I feel. <clears throat> I feel has no place in the church in this sense. Well, I feel what is actually being tried to say. No, no, there was context and there was original language that was used and we study that and we know that we have to apply that correctly. So we want to move from being a church that says, or people that say, I feel into God's word says. Because that be, that's, that's it. And lastly is Titus 1.9. And this kind of hits on what I was um, just getting at a little bit ago. And 
and I think this is important for you guys to hear because I think as we set up the framework of the church, this is something that you all need to hear. Being committed to God's word means the leadership of the mountain church vows to hold true to God's word. Say that again. Being committed to God's word means that the leadership at the mountain church vows to hold true to God's word. In Titus 1.9, he's giving the qualifications of eldership, right? Leading a church. And I love in 1.9 what he says. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The Mountain Church and our leadership will not be a church that stands for false doctrine. We are about God's word above relationships. I know that's hard to hear, but God's word is more important than anything that we can that I myself might try and convey, that Daniel might try and convey up here. You have our word that this is what we will be committed to. And we ask that you hold us accountable in that way. So now we get to the, the application, the measurables. So like I said, you guys, I know for a fact, a bunch of you guys could come up and tell me about 14 other things off the top of your head that the scriptures are good for and more verses. Yeah, you're right. Like I said, I'd have to go through this whole thing to show you everything that we need like, to cover in scriptures. That's why you need to be in it and reading it. But this is the pieces that I think are important for us to understand and the framework of what we're talking about, where our holy scriptures are pointing us. So now we think about those measurables, the win. You guys remember this? What does it look like and what does it sound like? Awesome. So what does it look like? Well, if we are to be a church that values these scriptures, the first thing I think it has to look like is this looks like people daily in the word. No excuses. I know for a fact some of you guys are already running it in your mind why you can't make that happen or that every other day is all right. And I'm telling you what, set the bar higher. Three times a day, four times a day would probably be nice. When you wake up, your lunch break, when you get home, before you go to bed, all these are great times to add it in. This looks like people having an appetite for the word. If not already having that appetite, being on your knees, begging God to give you that appetite. Want it. Don't wait around for some epiphany to go, well, when God wants me to read, he'll let me know. That's not how it works. When we think about reading the scripture, Daniel's talked about this before, but I think that it is ever more important. It's not just that when we talk about reading daily, three levels of reading. Do you guys remember Daniel's three levels of reading? I can see like a lot of like people I like don't know. This is why it's important. Three levels of reading. The first one, I'm gonna ch- I don't remember the first word you used, Daniel, but I'm going to change it to floating, right? So we're in water. We're floating. 
right? Many of you guys have been in a pool, the head's above water, right? You're just floating in there, you're soaking in. This is our first, this is our first reading. Soak in God's word, be saturated in it. This looks like reading plans, right? Soak, was that the word? Soak, like a bath. Um, but that you're in the word, right? This is not something that has to be in depth, right? This is just start reading God's word. See it for its entirety. Look at the meta narrative of scripture. Start reading plans. If you don't like year-long ones, set yourself a short-term one. I know for a fact I'm not a year-long kind of guy. That like discourages me when I read for like three days and I'm like, oh my gosh, 360 some odd days left. Like this doesn't work for me. So pick a plan that works for you. 40 days through the New Testament. We just did that. It was awesome. This is what the soaking is. Just continually read God's word. Power through. Put it on your headphones and let it play. A lot of you guys go, well, I don't like to do that because I start like, you create excuses, excuses already. I tell you what, you listen to it like you do music. How many of you guys say that you don't know lyrics to songs, but when it comes on, you start singing it, right? It happens. So put God's word in your head and start playing it. And if you start zoning out, great. You're still praying that God reveals a desire to hear more, but you're going to be saturated in it. And pretty soon, you know, if you play John over and over in your head for a long period of time, you're going to start to know it. So do it. No excuses. We get in it and we start soaking, right? We're soaking in God's word. The second thing is snorkeling. What does it look like? Studying the Bible passage that is going to be preached. Oh, that's Daniel's job. No, that's yours. We go back up to uh, protecting sound doctrine. How do you know what Daniel is up here saying is true if you're not studying it for yourself? You're just taking his word for it. You're listening blindly. That's what the Mormons did to Joseph Smith. They listened blindly. They didn't check doctrine. They just, oh, great. You got a revelation from God? Awesome. That doesn't work. So how do we do it? We snorkel. We study the passages that Daniel, Nathan, or I, or anybody else are up here preaching. Do your own research. Don't just read the passage once and put it away. Pull out an ESV study Bible. If you don't have one, take one. We got plenty of them. Read a commentary. Understand. Dive deeper. I've charged a few of the guys in my GC to make outlines. You see them with notebooks out here writing stuff down. They come prepared. They're ready to go. They're ready to hear God's word. This is what it looks like. Lastly, scuba. Take a longer time to study theological doctrine and concepts. Dive really deep into scripture. Pick something, justification, sanctification, creation. I don't know. Pick something and dive really deep into it and make it a long study that you are like really soaking in who God is and what his doctrine is and his theology on any topic. If you want a place to start, look at our core values. Look at the Holy Scriptures. Start with that. Soak in it. Make it a year-long study that you just go through what are the Holy Scriptures. This one might not need to be every day, but this is like one of those ones where you have a free moment and like, hey, instead of watching an hour-long TV show, I'm going to read what the Scriptures are. What else does this look like? This looks like husbands leading wives to reading God's Word. This looks like parents leading children to reading God's word and showing them its importance. Some of you guys know a man named Joshua Hansen. 
he said something to me that, or he said something in a sermon one time that really stood out to me on the importance of God's word. He talked about having a rough day one time, and as he was driving home, he said that all he could think about was reading God's word. Like, I just need to be filled. Like, God was just speaking to him. Like, you need to be filled. And he opened up the door when he got home, and what was the first thing that happened? His kids walked up, and they wanted to play. What do we normally do? Yeah, yeah. Let's play with them or say hi to them and take that. But I remember his story was a little different. He looked at his kids, and he said, you know what? I really want to play with you. But on the way home, God was telling me that I need to be in his word because I have a bad attitude right now and I'm not really there. I need to go and I need to spend some time with the Lord and I need to spend some time in his word. And after that, after that, we can spend some time together. That's what it looks like. We put God's word first. If he is calling us to it, we go to it. So what does it sound like? Well, I think first and foremost, our conversations are fully focused on Jesus. Right? <coughs> what else does it sound like? People asking others what they, what they are reading about in their daily readings, checking in on one another. There's nothing wrong with accountability. Ask somebody what they've been reading. What has God been teaching you? What has he been showing you through his word that you've been studying daily? As you've studied preparing for Daniel's sermon, what are some things that you think he's going to talk about? What stood out to you? After the sermon's over, having conversations, making the first thing that you do is walk up to somebody and instead of saying, hey, what are your lunch plans? Instead, change that to, man, what revelation did you have about God and his character today? Wow, how are you going to take what we heard and apply that to your life as you move out today? How can I hold you accountable for that over the week? What can I check in and ask you about? I think when we're devoted to God's word, you'll be devoted to talking about it. It's that simple. I think about this, I always, I've had this like general thought recently, because I don't know if you guys do it, but I like going, like every once in a while, I like going to a Mariner game. Not a lot, because I don't like going downtown, <laughs> but every once in a while, I like to get out there with Nathan, Daniel, go to a Mariner game, sit in the Hit It Here Cafe, watch the game. And then it's funny because as you leave a game that you just watched, when you walk out, do you know what the conversation is about? It's usually about the game. A missed play, a great play that happened to help win the game, a pitching decision that you don't agree with. I don't know why they pulled them out in the sixth, right? Like that didn't make any sense to me. It was pitching strong. Any of those kind of things, we recap the game and we get in our car and we drive home and we listen to sports radio recapping the game. Yet when we hear God's word, the first thing we do is most of the time not talk about it. We don't leave here going like, wow. Man, when Daniel drove in that third point, oh my goodness, that was so good. God's word is awesome. I don't, I don't generally hear that because I know for a fact that doesn't come out of my mouth that often. This is why I struggled with this sermon this week, and, and I guess in a moment of honesty, I, I will let you guys in. Like, 
all the way up to last night, 10 o'clock, sitting there, blank piece of paper. What in the world am I supposed to focus on? Because I got about a thousand things running through my head. How do you take all the richness of scriptures and boil it down into 30 minutes? It's hard. We ask the question in RGC a lot, are you reading your scriptures? Are you in them daily? And to be fair, a lot of times the answer is no. And the question becomes that we start asking is, how do we get people more inspired to read God, God's word? And like realizing I can't do it. I can stand up here and preach a sermon and like me, myself, I'm not going to change your mind. This comes back to asking the spirit to work in you to have a desire and appetite for God's word. You guys, all I can tell you is that there's so much richness in scriptures. There's so much joy to be found in God's promises. You don't get that from TV. You don't get that from reading fiction novels. You get that from his word. There's comfort in his words. My heart is breaking, if I'm being honest with you guys, for those who have access to Bibles and let them collect dust on shelves, myself included. If I'm being honest with you guys, I've stood back in that sound booth and with my own eyes, I've seen people on Facebook during the sermon. You are more devoted to checking social media than you are to hearing God's word preached. That's heartbreaking. hope you guys hear me when I say this is not meant to shame. This is not meant to make you feel terrible about yourself. This is meant to see a reality of what is happening when we are not in our word. I heard one of my favorite music leaders speak in a little four minute video this week. And I thought it, it was awesome. God just like popped it up and there it was. And I, I watched it and I feel like it just fits so perfectly with what we were talking about. Jeremiah 2.5. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness? They went after worthlessness. And I love the line that it says next. It doesn't pull any punches. It hits you right in the gut and makes you feel bad, if I'm being honest. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. You guys, when we chase after things other than what we see in scripture, other than reading this Bible, we are chasing after worthlessness. And scriptures are clear. When we chase after worthlessness, we ourselves become worthless. We are fooling ourselves if we think any of the idols of the world today are any different than the ones that they have. Just because we are not bowing to a metal calf that is that like we get to say like oh well that I'm not worshiping an idol. Well, anytime you turn on that TV and you put that over being in God's word, you are worshiping an idol. It's that simple. TV in itself is not inherently bad. Okay? 
I can't say that. I can't stand up here and make that claim. But when you're putting it over being in God's word, when you're not filling yourself, now, now we have an issue. And I'm the first one who can stand in line with that. <laughs> We should be able to hold conversations longer about God's word and his transformative power and what the richness is in this book. Our conversations should be longer than what we saw on The Amazing Race or the sports games that we've watched. So my prayer for, the prayer for myself and for this church body is that we not become worthless by chasing after worthless things, that we move beyond that, that we turn the opposite direction and we go... in a different direction. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. This is where we're going to end today. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. So if we're not supposed to chase after worthless things and become worthless, then what do we do? Well, in Philippians, it says it here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Where do we find things that are pure? Where do we find what is lovely? Where do we find what is commendable? Where do we find what is excellent? Where do we find what is worthy of praise? Nowhere else. Nowhere else but the word of God. Move from worthless to this. Focus on this. Set your eyes upon this. Make this your guide. Carry one, two, three, four of these around. Have one in your your car. Have one with you. You guys, I'm going to say, I know a lot of people are going to probably be a little irked when I say this, but like, stop using your phone. Use this. The phone is great. I love having it. I use it as like a quick resource when I need to. But I'll tell you right, first thing right now, that becomes such a distraction because it's one click from opening up social media. It's one click away from uh, watching the highlights of the Mariners game. It's one click of looking away or looking to see if the weed whacker at Lowe's that I want is on sale. Right? Focus on these things that we see in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I'm going to read it again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Where do we learn? We learn from this. How do we know what Paul is saying? We have his words inspired by the spirit working through him. Cling to it. Hold on to it. If there's one thing that you can't leave town, if there's one thing that you can't leave home without, make it your Bible. Learn, soak, saturate yourself with his word and with his truths because we know that they will never fade away.
and we could go into a lot of verses about that, but you guys all know that to be true. Let's go ahead and close.